Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for your downloads and participation in the Facebook page, sharing music with us. That uh, means a lot to us. And with me always is Jason. What's going on, man? Hey, I am. Uh, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, man. It's uh, cooled down here a little bit. Uh, you're uh, back from vacation. I'm back from vacation, so everybody probably realized we did not have a new episode the last week or two because I was on vacation. My fault, but. It was nice to have a little break. We did a best of last That was week. cool. That, that was, was awesome. Cool. I, you know, and what I really appreciated too, Brian, is our listeners, our fans chimed in on some stuff they wanted to hear. And I, I put that on the best of list. So uh, look forward to doing that again sometime. Yeah, you definitely had some good picks in there, man. Um, but yeah, I did, didn't uh, post anything about us not being on. I just like, well, you know, I think everybody could figure it out. But it's uh, good to be back. And I'm like uh, raring to go here. Uh, I'm raring to go as well, and um, I'm raring to go to some some shows. So you've got a show coming up at your state fairgrounds, or right this week or next week? Uh, next, next Friday. Week. Next next Friday. Yeah, um, Kicks. Well, they're opening. Uh, they should be headlining, in my opinion. But I saw them back in 2015 at Moondance Jam. And if you ever see Kicks, and if you've ever seen the Stones, you could put like Mick Jagger on a screen and Steve Whiteman, and just go back and forth and he uh, I think he pretty much learns all his moves from Jagger and they're very uh they're like a you know a they're underappreciated underrated they were really good in that genre of music that came out in the 80s and early 90s but they were just you know over surpassed by other bands that really weren't as good yeah well they've got that guitar style that's just like you know your typical you know classic Keith Richards riff or Angus mm-hmm. Young riff it's very stonesy ACDC-ish blues you influence know. And, you know, like we've mentioned before, like with Tesla and Cinderella, they're another band that got like lumped in with like, you know, I guess what we call hair metal. And uh, they're much better than a lot of those bands. And, you know, they're going to be opening and then it's, you know, quiet, riot and rat. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it'll be interesting to get your feedback from yeah. the show, from those bands when we record after that show. Yeah, I can't criticize anything until I watch it. You know, it's, it's like my very first concert, you know, 1985, you know, what's 35 years ago or 40. I'm not good at math off the top of my head, but it was rat at, at the Fargo fair, but they were opening for Iron Maiden then. And, but that's also, well, one rat was in their prime yeah. at that time. So it had to be a great show. And then Iron Maiden, I mean, come on, like what a bill that's, that mm. had to be spectacular. Yeah. So I'm going to see that um and uh i've you know i've just uh, during the break i was just i i 
found out that a good source of finding bands is like when you're on Facebook and it says like other people you may know. And a lot of those come up from people that we're friends with. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting all these like, I just look at pictures and if they look like they're in a band, boom, I'm in, I check it out, you know, and, and came across a lot of musicians, you know, through our friends in uh, New York City and Kentucky. But uh, three bands specifically stuck out to me. Uh, one from Little Rock, Arkansas called De France, either De France or De France. Um, that's the guy's last name. And uh, they're very, you know, they remind me a lot of like Robert John and the Wreck, mm-hmm. um, a lot like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Uh, there's a band from Louisville called Penny Royal that was called Further South, and uh, they're really quite good. And a band called Crashing Revelry out of uh, Arizona, who has been working with Chris Robertson from Blackstone Sherry. They, they're, you know, working with him up in that studio uh, up there in, you know, Edmonton or glasgow up in kentucky working with chris and uh i've chatted with them and they want to come on and we're gonna chat a little bit beforehand with them and see what's up um but uh you got some exciting stuff here coming on in the future that we just chatted about uh before we started rolling absolutely so i have next week next friday the 16th and then saturday the 17th to see some of our friends at the podcast play. So I got a, a second go around with them Dirty Roses playing the same place I saw them a few months ago, the Woodlands Tavern in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, we're going to try to get Andrew and the guys on to do a very quick um, from the road podcast because in preparation for our trip to Rock and Pod in Nashville, I have uh, you know mobile recording and we're going to try mm-hmm. to break that in. So I'm excited to see Andrew and the guys play again. And then uh, the next night, a little further south in the Dayton area, I'm going to see a bill with two people we've had on the podcast already. Uh, Tyler Bryant, the Shakedown. You know, we've had Tyler Bryant on. And then our our good buddies who we've had a couple of times already on, the Georgia Thunderbolts. So we'll at least have TJ and Riley, if not the other members of the band, to kind of give us a road report, what they're seeing, what's going on, what's live music like. And what was it like playing the shed with our, our favorite band, Blackberry Smoke? Yeah, you know, that... that what a- what a bill. What a bill. I'm so excited. It's going to be I good. mean, the Thunderbolt's opening up for Tyler Bryant. It's the like, tickets are $15. That's yeah, ridiculous. Amazing. It's just amazing. It's yeah. Seating. Yeah. That's incredible. You and mentioned Blackberry Smoke. Next door to my hometown. The town yeah. next door to my hometown. One over. So I'm going back though, even where I graduated high school. So homecoming. Yeah. You mentioned Blackberry Smoke and uh, the band Crashing Revelry. They actually opened up for them. It was on July 4th, like in Las Vegas. So nice. it'd be interesting to talk to those guys as well. And anybody oh, who's open for them, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and they're a cool band. I mean, you you do have a nose for finding these bands. And again, as I said a thousand times, and I'll keep saying is you started this podcast to promote this type, these bands and these musics because you love it and there's not a lot of places to go. So bring them on. Yeah, like I said, that the thing on Facebook, the people you people you may know, and it's all of a sudden this great resource just to you know the bands just keep popping up just when you think you you know we talk to everyone we can all of a sudden there's more yep don't stop it's pretty, it's pretty amazing yeah you've been doing a good job and I've, i'm you know a lot of great bands you found and that i'm fans of now through through this process so keep it up you know i can't help but to like look at your area and see like columbus and then cincinnati it seemed like everybody's going through there 
Uh, yeah, thankfully, man. No, it's Ohio's, you know, Ohio's a pretty populous state and you've got Cleveland and Columbus and Cincinnati. So it's a good destination for a lot of bands, major highways going through them. Um, I'm yeah, I'm lucky. Like Blackberry Smoke's coming to both since to, to not both to all three stops. They're coming to the Cleveland area. They're coming to the Columbus area. They're coming to Cincinnati and they're coming to Dayton on July 31st at the Rose Music Center. And me and my band are going to go see them. And that's actually with the Almond Betts band opening. It's the, right on. the South Tour. So, dude, I've got that. Uh, August 31st, I'm going to see our friend again, Noah Hunt, with um, Kenny Wayne Shepherd Band play in Dayton at the Praise Pavilion with Larkin Poe opening. So, I'm going to, I'm talking to Noah. I'm going to see if he can't give me 10 or 15 minutes too before the show to give us a road report. We'll see. Yeah, what you got. You got a lot of great opportunity to talk to some folks. Yeah, you know, Whiskey Myers is coming uh, here to Fargo Moorhead August thirty or August twenty eighth. I want to say or 29th. Um, So I'm going to try to like get you know get in touch with their people and oh, heck see yeah. if I can't uh, can't uh, talk to those guys. You could do one of those Facebook lives or something. For sure, too, you know, have yeah, somebody hold up your sure. phone, your wife, or somebody sure. else, and yeah, do all that. Yeah. And maybe I'll even try to hit up Blackberry Smoke for when I'm going to see them in September. <laughs> you should. You try should. to break through that uh, impenetrable wall. That we, 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 I will admit, we'll tell everybody right now, we have had some communications with different members of the band. And we, if our fingers crossed, we may actually land them one day. Yeah. And uh, you told me Jesse James Dupree from Jackal. Uh, Jesse gave you James little... Dupree gave us a little little uh, like on something I touch, reached out to him on Instagram on. We'll see if we can't land him because if we get him, one of the things I do want to talk about is I saw them open up for Aerosmith in 93. And I want to I really understand, like, what did they learn from Aerosmith? Because that's right when Jackal was breaking, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that would be interesting and see if he has any experiences he can share from playing Cincinnati. Yeah, and I remember I read that in, in the Aerosmith book, and they had uh, gotten put on that gig because uh, Megadeth was opening, but they got fired because Dave Mustaine was like saying, "Yeah, this is Aerosmith slash hurrah, blah blah blah," and like, and so Stephen Tyler saying, "So we told this fucking guy, Dave, you gotta go." <laughs> Man, my poor Dave and Megadeth. He shot himself in the foot so many times over his career. It's almost Black Crow's esque, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's. Uh, Once yeah. they get going, some success, he 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 sabotages himself. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, we don't have any particular segue to our guests. So if you just we said wanna... the Black Crows is kind of a segue. We did, Mel. Yeah, um, you are right there. <laughs> well, I think our segue, and I'll take the segue, is uh, to talk in Black Crows. So you know, um, there's a band from the Northeast called the Americans. They're a Black Crows tribute band. They are not an impersonation band. They don't dress up like anybody, but they are real musicians, real good musicians playing the music of the Black Crows. Uh, the solo projects, the side projects, and the covers, and they've been out kicking for a number of years. So one of our friends through kind of a, a mutual group, Brian and I have, um, uh, is uh, a founding member and bass player, Steve Gleason, Mr. Steve Gleason, who who uh, is was happy enough to get on to talk with us, just what's going on with the Americans, you know, how did they form, what's the love of the Black Crows, what's, what's the music 
uh, playing their music really like, some bass stuff, some other things. So we thought it was a good opportunity because this genre of blues and, and Southern rock, the Black Crows are an important piece of that scene. The Amorkins are a great band. Uh, a couple months back, we had Seth uh, Miller on, who's the lead singer right. of that band for a quick hitter on our video, Quick Hitter. So I know we just got into a deeper dive with, with Steve. Well, what did you think, Brian? If the rest of the band is anything like Seth and like Steve, it's like wonderful to talk to, you know. Um, Easy conversations. To yeah. Talk about and, all kinds of music. And this is really, you know, when we, uh, my first really kind of like, you know, tech discussion with a bass player on here, which is really fun for me. And I liked hearing about that too. Being a guitarist, I don't right. get a lot in the bass yeah. stuff. And I just, I'm disinterested. And, you know, even the concepts of how to, um, theory go into playing when people are playing in open or other keys i thought that was i've always asked, wondered that question myself and he was able to answer that another guy that we can talk to forever oh yeah i mean he, we like, could have kept going like andy aildord and jd simo and scotty bratcher scotty bratcher guys yeah, you can just, just talk and talk and talk to one of these days we're going to have to have a, a, a best of panel with these guys who can just have conversations you and I can sit back and just let everything go and just sit and enjoy it and hit the record button. Yeah, for sure. And instead of uh, listening to us talk and talk and talk, why don't you, uh, everybody kick back, relax, and listen to us talk with Mr. Steve Gleason from Black Crow's tribute band, The Americans. <laughs> the guest segment of this week's episode of the all things blues and southern rock podcast uh we told you who our guest is but jason is here to give you the official introduction jason thank you brian it is certainly our pleasure to have one of our friends on the show uh he's a founding member of the black crows tribute band the number one black crows tribute band in all the land the Americans, and also plays in another band called syndicate it's our friend, Mr. Steve Gleason. How you doing, Steve? What's up, Steve? Good. Nice to see you guys tonight. Nice to see you. It's funny. You're on vacation in Michigan. I just got back from vacation. And Brian, I mean, are you going on vacation? We got to 
you know, fix this triumvirate here? Well, you know, I mean, if you want to count uh, Nashville as a vacation, uh, it'll podcast be a working, working vacation. vacation. But it'll, we'll have fun. We'll consider that a vacation. Well, most people consider North Dakota a great vacation. Yeah. Unless you live there. <laughs> well, it actually did just cool down. I mean, it was like swampy 90s forever. Mm. Well, my See, son. Hampshire. Well, my son's getting ready to take a two-week trip out west with his friends. He just graduated high school. He's got four other guys he's going with in a van. And they are going to uh, South Dakota. So, Brian, I'm going to give him your number if something happens. I know... <laughs> It's a neighboring state. I'll have them get right. a hold of you. They're going. They're going out to. They'll see. Um, going to Mount Rushmore. Rapid see City. Mount Rushmore. They'll see Devil's Tower. Right. They're going to see Yosemite or Yellowstone. Go to L.A. for a couple of days. Come back through New Mexico, and I think they're going to see the Grand Canyon at some point. Nice. Come back through Nashville and come back home. So nice. You know, if they were going on the Northeast Coast, I would absolutely send them Steve's way and Seth's way, and they could sure show them a good time. Absolutely. <laughs> I did. I did get in contact with Shane Bickle, who that is. I don't know if he owns uh, uh, Sidetracks in Huntsville or runs it or whatever, but I was asking him uh, if they're going to do another uh, Throttle Fest. And the last one was in October. And I, you know, with now we have, you know, from our airport in Fargo, we have cheap express flights to Nashville. So that's kind of like my wheels in my head are kind of spinning like to try and get to more events and have, you know, mingle with the people. Well, let me know. It's only a six hour drive for me. I can get down there. Okay. But, yeah, enough, well. but enough about vacations. <laughs> Steve, thanks for joining us, man. I know Brian's really excited to talk to you, Steve. Now Steve is the bass player in both the Americans, which is, like I said before, the number one uh, Black Crows tribute band and also his band Syndicate. So you are a professional musician. You play done a lot of cool things so we're real interested to talk to you about kind of your thoughts on music and things and even your your music career and bass playing and you know i'm sure brian i'll let you go and take off because this is i mean this is your wheelhouse with bass players sure well, yeah, well I, I appreciate the kudos anyways brian i'm sorry i've heard just, you play you guys are good let's let's talk about like when you know how the americans came about when it was just a twinkle in your eye to where you are now just go the deep dive on this let's hear it it really came about because of the um the death of Eddie Harsh and the, really the formation of the Magpie Salute. Um, one of the former members of the Americans, Brian Malloy, and I tried to start a Black Crows tribute band when that first uh, came together. And then Ed died. Um, a friend of mine wrote a really touching eulogy online about it. And we were like, why are we, we love the band. Why don't we try and put something together? We tried really, really hard to, to get it to go, but to really have a, a successful tribute, you need people that are incredibly committed to everything that's going on within the music. Anybody can play like, look, anybody can play Jealous again and like, okay, I can play D over and over and over. But if you're going to play all these songs, like these particular songs, there's a lot of stuff going on in them and a lot of little nuggets and a lot of little things that we get that a lot of people don't get because A, we study the music and B, we're very, very, very committed to it. So it took a while to find other players that had the same sort of uh, commitment that we have to the music. So uh, another two other dudes went to see the Magpie Salute in uh, November of 17 in Fairfield, Connecticut, and they decided to start. And uh, a mutual friend 
turned one of the the drummer who's no longer with us on to who I was. He sent me an invite, told him uh, he know also known about Brian, and we got together and jammed. And then uh, one of the the backup singers was friends with the drummer and said, "Can I join?" And you know now she has Sting Me tattooed on her back. You know <laughs> which um, one is that? Irma. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, you know, it's been a labor of love. We had a, another singer. We, well, we've had three singers. The first one kind of bailed very quickly. And then we brought in this guy, John, who was great, had a very Joe Cocker type of vibe to him. Uh, and his girlfriend in, you know, serendipity for him, both him and us, uh, get a PhD uh, gig up in New York. So she, he had to move with her. And Seth, uh, immediately said he had been following us via the internet, showed up at two of our gigs, was completely freaking out in front of us at one of the gigs. And I'm like, check out this guy. And I was getting all kinds of energy off him. You know, he was totally yeah. freaking out during it. Um, and he was like, look, if anything changes, I want in. And uh, we had a couple of people audition. And I mean, I, you've heard him saying it's impossible to overlook his voice. So, uh, yeah, he was in, and the band really kind of has skyrocketed since then. Right on. And what I respect a lot about you guys is, like, you guys are a tribute band, but you're not an impersonation band. You know, you're not... not do cosplay. No. <laughs> you don't do cosplay. No. Well, we don't. We don't dress up like them. Like, a lot of people right. do. Some of them will, like, uh, I, the guitar player is also in Vintage Skinnerd, which is, like, the... Which the, one, Raleigh if, or who? Which one? Uh, Kevin Meany. Oh, Kevin is okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. He is. If you haven't seen Vintage Skinner, like they've also been to Daryl's house. They tour nationally. They are the Skinner tribute band. No kidding. They're fantastic. Uh, the lead singer. Uh, so he graduated high school with me, but he does the whole Ronnie Van Zant thing. He's got the hat. He's not wearing the shoes. And look, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that because there isn't. But we're not doing that. We're just, right. and you know, if you look at the Black Crows in that sense, what do you dress up like? Do you uh, dress the up uh, like? By Your Side album cover is what I well, want yeah, to see you guys do. white suits, right? Do, I, do, do we wear the Don't Buy Weed from Speed Dealers t-shirt? Do I wear the Pimp t-shirt from 98? Do we wear from 92, you know? I mean, they've been through a lot of the 666 right. from 95. They've been through a lot of incarnations, you know? So we don't do that, but we do faithfully recreate shows um, and versions of uh, live versions of uh, different Crow songs. And we never play the same set twice, ever. So you guys know about how many songs, about how, how many hours worth of material? About five hours worth of material. We 80, 80 songs, 85 songs, something like that. And you guys also cover not only the Crows, but you're doing Magpie, you're doing stuff from the brothers solo albums or solo yep. careers yeah and we're doing covers that the black crows did so it's a faithful black crows experience you know we'll be adding like uh mark songs uh i know at some point i'm gonna pick the giving key from rich uh that's coming um so you know it's uh it's all facets of like a black crows experience we're trying to really target hardcores that will come multiple times. 
Well, because you're, you know, you're playing the set list where we'll use a, a term from their tour this summer and all the hits. You're not really doing all the hits. You're doing some of the hits, but you're, like you said, you guys have a really deep catalog and the yep. true Black Crows fan is going to enjoy that more than the casual fan, I'm going to guess. Well, we were in Atlanta. Uh, we went uh, to Atlanta for two shows in May and we played two nights and both, both sets were two hours and we repeated two songs over the two nights it's crazy so we played four hours worth of music and i've heard some of your clips because i know the state of america boys and some of yeah. our friends you know some of our mutual friends had recorded and played some of that stuff and you guys sounded spectacular well i appreciate that thank you we um we're trying very very desperately to get all the tones correct all the little nuggets all those things mean a bunch to us to yeah. get all that stuff right to be authentic that's the goal. So, well, as, and, go ahead, Brian. As we're talking, you know, I'm thinking like it's to me, it's like you guys are like what Joe Russo's, Joe Russo's almost dead is like to the crows. Now, sometimes you'll see, you know, bands like that or, you know, Fish has done it too, where they play like certain nights, the same set list that the band played on specific events. Is that, Yep. something that you are thinking about doing or have done or will do or uh we've done album nights like we did all of southern harmony uh wow. one set um we we could do uh all of um i think we have to learn one more to do all of uh shake your money maker but that's kind of the goal but we don't look at particular shows and uh do that show in a row um, but I, I, um, I review bootlegs for the pod, the, uh, State of America yep. podcast. So I've been trading tapes for 28 years of the Black Crows, much like a, a Grateful Dead enthusiast would trade them. I, I have hundreds of shows. I've seen them, you know, 150 times. I know the shows well. So when we set up a show and a set list, it's really a template and it's done in a certain style. So it might be uh, a 1996 style show or it might be a 1992 style show or a 98 style show. It depends on where we're playing because in some places, if we haven't been to that market before or we're trying to open up a new place, we'll play a whole bunch of hit, like every hit that they have, you know, and much more popular songs and kind of lay back a little bit on the deep cuts or the unreleased stuff and maybe uh, a cover that people know, like, can't you hear me knocking or something like that. Um, whereas a place that we played a lot or it's home base, like everything's on the table. Right. You know? So you're catering your set list to the audience you're going to play to. Uh, we're going to try to do that, you know, but I'll write a set and it'll be like, all right. So if we're thinking about it, like 96, right. They opened with Nebuchadnezzar a lot. You had, uh, uh, sting me in the two slot a lot. Well, maybe tonight's like a tied up and swallowed kind of night. That got played in the two slot a lot. The three slot was kind of dominated by Sister Luck. Let's do that. So we kind of think about it, or I think about it anyways, as like a template to set up the shows. That's amazing that you know like exactly what was the third song and what was the, that's uh, pretty incredible. Well, I think, you know, you spend enough time listening to anything. You, <laughs> you kinda... see 150 shows. Well, I mean, you see patterns in things after a while, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, 
if you're a dead fan at all, I know this is a Southern rock podcast, but you know, it's like, a music hey, there they got that sound too, man. We're generally all things blues and Southern rock is a generalization. That's right. It's that close to that, that solar system. So. Right, right, right. So it's a, you know, in a, in a musical sense though, but I mean, if you think about what the dead did, you know, you just weren't going to get Dark Star in the first set. You just weren't. It was going to be in the second set, right? You 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 were going to get uh, China Rider maybe at the end of the first set. But if you got into the second set and hadn't got it right out of the gate, it wasn't happening. You know what I mean? So yeah. there are certain patterns that you recognize over time, especially with the Crows. I mean, if they played my morning song one night, the next night you were going to get probably – either Ballad Wiser or, you know, Thorn, a, a mm-hmm. long version of Thorn in My Pride. And, you know, or may, you might get both. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, there are some patterns within the chaos of 300, a 300 song set list that they had. Is it, sure. Do the keys of the song play into that, how you build up those set list? Uh, uh, that's, that's actually a really good question. Uh, they do. The thing about the crows is the crows had, and this is a challenge, right? They have guitar techs and whatnot. We don't, but right. we play all the songs in the original key that they were in. Right. So, so you need a hundred guitars. Uh, Kevin brings five. Yeah. We play some nights it's in five different keys. So it'll be, you know, standard open G open F sharp, open F open E, you know, don't forget the capo or the capo on one of those two. So, you know, change that open, open G to an A on the second or a right, B right, on the right, fourth. Right. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. a lot of, could be drop yeah. E. Look, there's a lot of different things. <laughs> there is. There is. But that's what makes the rich such an innovative, not innovative, a original guitar player and makes those songs what they is. He, he would just mess around and said, this sounds good. And everybody else could build stuff around it. And that's, make the you know make the crows who they are plus it gives it a certain tone that it doesn't have when you don't play it in that in that tuning sure if you take something like can't you hear me knocking and that if you're not playing that in open g yep it just has a different tonal quality well i've seen how the as a crow flies and that's exactly right because you had both oddly and marcus playing standard tuning and while they were playing the song, it was never, the, and those guys are outstanding guitar. I mean, how oddly played with them, right? Yeah. Never the same as when you had somebody playing in open tunes like Rich, because it just, you're sonically, it's not the same. You're right. I, I was in Italy when As the Crows Flies started in 18, and we were, we were up and running, and I was really anxious to see what it was going to be. So I downloaded a video, it took forever. And when it came up, it was Sting Me. And, you know, Marcus started the beginning of it, and I was like... Butchered it. This sounds like shit. Yeah. Can I swear on this? This yeah, sounds sure. Like Please do. You yeah, know? we're going to lose our sponsors. <laughs> this sounds like fucking shit. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I was like, God, I, you know, we sound better than this. I mean, those, and those guys can really play. Marcus King's amazing. Yep. But he wasn't amazing in that band, in my opinion, because he didn't tune. And he said, you know... These tunes have a lot more to them than I thought they did. Yeah, they're not simple one, four, five songs. They're not. They all have a little something going on on a certain beat, or they hold this longer, or, you know, there's this change that you didn't expect, or, you know, a, a, a major five turns into a minor five at a point, and you're like, oh, I, you know, there's a lot of that stuff going on, you know? So we do play in all the original keys, which is, which is difficult when you're setting up the set list, because when you set it up, 
you want to do it in the most efficient way mm-hmm. so there's not a lot of dead space right. for the audience to be like you know well these guys suck or whatever you know, or, <laughs> change or, a guitar you know, tune it yeah right right because it's hard to fill space and it's hard to rely on seth to entertain people you know by speaking <laughs> well, I, you know what i was gonna ask a question i'm gonna stay away from that and that'll, no, that'll but be you it. know what i mean it's yeah. like you know and not everybody's a comedian not everybody's right. good to mic for five minutes well nobody's there to listen to you guys jabber no mic either they're listening they want to hear you play a song right yeah well that's what people are there for yeah much as i'm ready to give a speech at any time <laughs> <laughs> talk to you know, politics with a large room of people <laughs> Not everybody who's there for that at that particular <laughs> moment, you know. So it is what it is. As the bass player, how when there's all those, you know, different alternative tunings going on, I should know this as a bass player, but I don't like I've heard a lot like bass player usually stays in standard. What what goes on with you? Okay, so in general, uh the bass player does stay in standard. The only time is if it's in a drop tuning and you have the the open E string, mm-hmm. that open note on E, if you don't if you don't tune down to E like flat, D or whatever or E flat, uh, okay, e flat, right? That's the only note you can't get. So something like Man in the Box, right? Bow, yeah, that note I can't get mm-hmm. the low end of it. I can get it up at the top of on the eleventh fret on the mm-hmm. E string but it's not the same tonally. So unless, if that note is not in the song, I don't have to, I don't have to move. Well, I mean, it changed where I play, but like I know theory enough and whatnot that I can transpose on the fly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're like, yeah, well, you know, it's down a step. Okay, cool. If I know the progression, right. I'm fine. Yep. So that's basically uh, for me, I can I can play all that stuff just on the fly. Do you just tune tune your string down, or do you bring a backup bass and have it tuned? Uh, I usually just tune the string down. Okay. You know that, that's pretty quick it. though. I mean, you're not doing a bunch of turning at that point. You're just no. Yeah, no, I plug it in quick, tune it, plug it out, and we're good. You know, but we don't we don't have any songs I don't think that do that. You know. But sometimes I bring two bases, like, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about it at some point, but people want to see the, the bases I have at some point. So well, that sounds like a great segue, Brian. You want to ask the questions? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to know the deep dive into how you got these bases and tell, tell the people, like, uh, whose bases you have and okay. the whole story from just a gleam in your eye to where it's at now and how you have these bass okay. guitars. So in 2018, in July, um, Rich Robinson put a whole bunch of his guitars up on Reverb. Mm-hmm. He put up a, a lot of them. Uh, I mean, like a full lot, not a lot. Um, so I think he had 16 guitars up, but he had one bass up. It was a, a 73 Tele. And it said on it, played on Three Snakes and Lions and all my solo records. And like, I had, I don't know. 20 or 30 people reach out to me and they're like, you have to buy this thing. You have to buy this thing. So I looked at it. I thought about it a long time was like, shit, they're right. I do have to buy this thing. <laughs> so I tried to lowball a bid. Nothing happened. They were waiting for bids. And I had a friend call me, uh, a Berkeley dude. And he's like, did you bid on it? And I said, yeah. 
And he said, did you underbid? And I said, yeah. And he goes, just press buy it now. I don't want to hear for 10 years about how you should have bought this base. So he said, if you won't do it, I'll pay the money. I'll pay the money. Just buy it now. So I went on and I pressed, I took my bid back and I pressed buy it now. So the base showed up, I don't know, maybe a week later. Wow. I got it set up and all that. And I was going to see the Magpie uh in september of 19 or was it august i don't know whenever they played hampton beach in beverly uh in 18 and i had meet and greet both nights so i walked into the beverly show and said to rich i was like hey dude i was the guy that bought your base uh any chance i could i could bring the faceplate tomorrow night you could sign it and um he was like absolutely make sure that you're the last guy in line and I'll tell you the whole story behind the base. Wow. So I was the last guy in line. And Sven's wife, Martina, you might know her, who she is, Marta. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the tour manager. And I told her, and she's like, yep, just stand back here. And they went through and we took all the pictures. And he's like, you're the base guy. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, I, I can't find uh, what this is on. You know, I bought this because three snakes means a ton to me. And he's like, yeah, you won't find anything about who played on this and who played on that or any of that stuff. I don't put any of that out. But he said, here in front of your friend, I'll tell you, you know, and he's like, this was played on Three Snakes and blah, blah, blah. And uh, he told me, you know, uh, I played on Lions. It's on every solo record. John Hogg immediately said, and you're going to love it. The next amazing. I'm like, I, I, yeah, absolutely. You know, and um. I told him that it was now in the hands of somebody that loved it and he was cool and he signed the whole thing and we took a couple of pictures and, and that was cool. Um, flash forward two years, I become kind of friendly with Johnny Colt on, uh, on Instagram. And uh, he just decided out of the blue to do like a three and a half hour FaceTime with me. Let me huh. ask him any black crows question I want. Wow. Shit. Get to the black crows for like an hour. Yeah. A teacher now. I, I'm a high school teacher. And we talked about, you know, philosophy and art and a whole bunch of things before we even talked rock. But he saw the, the guitar behind me and he's like, Is that your axe? And I said, Yeah, yeah, man. And he said, Well, you know, put the camera up close. And he said, That really looks familiar to me. And I said, <laughs> Might be familiar. Now I don't know if you know the story, but the story is that that Johnny didn't play on Three Snakes, that right. Richard played all the stuff on it. Yeah which turns out isn't true you know? really and i know it isn't only because johnny was like i know that bass and i said i think you might have played it it's kind of it's kind of a little bit famous and i said what can you tell me about it and he looked i, I held it up and he said the two things that he should know are the neck is like the greatest neck of all time it just it's the most ergonomic. It's the fast. It's the, it, anybody that plays is like, Ooh, is it thin? Is it middle? Is it chunky? What do we it's got? Middle. Okay. It's middle. It's fast. It's perfect. Okay. It just fits every hand. Like it's just, it's perfect, you know? Um, and the neck pickup that is a humbucker. It's an original from the seventies. It's hot, hot, hot. Like I can't even tell you how hot that mm-hmm. pickup is. It's screaming hot. Like enough that an engineer's like, whoa, big fella, back that down, hot, you know? And he knew both. He's like, that neck pickup is like way too hot. 
and we had to mod the base. It's so hot. Is that a stock had, pickup? Is that what it came yeah, with? Yeah, it? it's a stock pickup, but it's super hot. Wow. And they modded the base with a jazz pickup to kind of counter. counter yeah, balance. yeah. And he knew that. And he also knew about the neck. And he said, yeah, I played a couple of those songs. He goes, I don't remember which song it was or whatnot. But it's definitely so when I brought it home, you know, when it first when it first got there and I got it set up by a luthier, I got it home and I have a nice uh, uh, practice area in my basement, maybe a thousand square feet. I turned on all the all the PA, turned up Girl from the Pawn Shop real loud. Mm -hmm. And that first C that comes in. I just hit it and everything, the, it, the note just spread and I was like, oh my God, it's it, you know? So that bass has magic in it. It just really does. Did you say that bridge pickup was added or did that, that? No, the, uh, the, uh, the, no. The, the, the uh, pickup in the back of the bass has been added to it. Okay. And it almost works as a, there's only two knobs on it and I would call them both tone knobs at this time. One hmm. works as a volume, but they're they counterbalance each other, and you get okay. so many tones out of the balance between the two of them. Right. So, did um, uh, did Rich tell you where he got it or any other of that of the origin uh, of it or uh, no? Okay. No. He said he it, he had had it for a long time, and I didn't ask him the origin story of that. Okay. He just said. I got it around the time of uh, when we started Three Snakes. So I got it right. in Morica time. That well, that's amazing that, that that big humbucker is so, run so hot. You know, I've I had a I had an EB zero for a little while, and it was just so uh, like tone bland. And then oh, you yeah, know, that's the only thing this isn't. Yeah, 2011 or 2012. Like I had a Squire uh, Tele P bass, and it just had the mudbucker, and that too was real, just kind of bland tone. I've got an American special Telecaster from a few years ago. I bought used off somebody. That bridge pickup is hot as shit. It's a single coil. Yep. I, I don't know if I just got lucky with that or what, but it's like it cuts through a lot more than some of the stuff that I have humbuckers with. It's unbelievable. The humbucker's hot. They put a single coil in the back. And they, they you know, it's taken me a while to really, yeah. really understand the tone of it. Um, anyways, the, there isn't a person that comes to see us that's unaware of my tone. I would say that. Um, so from there, I was contacted uh, this past January by Sven uh, and Martina uh, through a dude. And uh, they had a Sven's Rickenbacker. So it's an 82 Rick. You can see it in, uh, there's a video from um daryl's daryl's house from um uh levon helms house where they did uh uh what the hell's the name uh, the four four cabin frost cabin yeah, fever. Yeah. There you go. yeah yeah before the frost cabin fever uh where they do uh oh sweet nothing and you can he's playing it in that video you can also see it when they played on letterman in 2008 and uh he's playing in the good morning good captain, captain. yeah that's a good clip it, it's also yeah. In a bootleg video from Winston Salem in '98 from Ziggy's, I believe he yep. played that there. Yeah, I got that man. Yeah, uh, oh Ziggy's, right, right. Uh, yeah, I have to go back and watch that. I have that video. It's in that. So you have everything, the Black Rose. Um, yeah, um, I know that it's. He's played it 
live forever. And uh, so I bought it off him and they wanted me to have it because, uh, you know, quote, they wanted to play Black Crow's music in the Americans, which is nice. Great. Yeah. And, uh, I offered it back to him for the for the coming tour. You know, he could uh, give it to him and he could use it for the tour and then give it back to me or whatever. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I think yeah, he's now that he's back hurt. with the band again. That's I'm so glad they got him back. Me too. I think he's yeah. amazing. Though I I have to tell you, I'm a Johnny guy. Yeah, both those dudes are great. Like no no issue with either one of them. You know, I'm not I don't feel the same way about all the keyboard players, but all the bass guys are cool. <laughs> well, I'm taking uh, piano lessons right now from Matt Slocum. Are you really? Oh, nice. I am. <laughs> yeah, I am. He's so, uh, top notch. Is he uh, getting a cut of those those keyboard? Like I think he's hooked his friend up and you now. You get like 10% finder's fee. <laughs> you should. Any uh, interesting, uh, when Johnny told you you could ask him anything about the crows, like anything we don't know, or is that, uh, is that uh, uh, classified? Anything? I'd say, I'd say he, 90, he, 90, 90% of it's really. <laughs> is there something you could tell us that maybe normal Black Crows fans don't know that wouldn't be sure. like, you know, that wouldn't ruin his trust? Sure. Sister Luck is templated after the song Sway. Yeah. The Rolling yeah. Stones. That a lot of those songs are templated after certain sure. songs. Sure. So if you figure that, then what song would you say, Brian, is the ACDC song off that record? Uh, 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 Sh Shake Your Moneymaker? Yeah. I don't know. You got me on a spot. I have to listen. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know yeah. what that. Well, hold on. Let me pull it out. So if you think about if you think about uh, Sway, that's the record. Yes, sir. So if you think about a tune like Sway, one of the great, great, great Rolling Stone songs of all time, what's the big deal in that tune besides the chorus, which is fab? Everyone talks about one thing with Sway, and it's the outro solo, right? Mm -hmm. yep. Based around that great outro solo from Mick Taylor. And if you think about Sister Luck, what does Sister Luck have at the end? It's got a very it's, similar mm -hmm. chord progression based yep. around B flat. The chord progressions are very similar, and it's got a, a, a fab outro solo from, uh, I'm not sure if it was Jeff Cease or if it was Brendan O'Brien at the time. I'm going to guess it was Brendan O'Brien, but. Hmm. I'm gonna, all right. I'm going to throw two, two ideas out at you now. Yeah. Strut and blues. Yep. That's the one. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. It's got that sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's got I had to play it in my fun. head while I was looking at those songs to figure that out. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so not that they're the same tunes, but they no. have those vibes. Yeah, and you know, on the first record, that's what they're kind of thinking about: is we need this kind of vibe. What particular ACDC song is that templated on? Everyone, <laughs> yeah, like, um, well, you know, it's like three standard chords, but it's like the choppiness of dun, right, dun, 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 you know, it's kind of right, like in Syndicate, we do. Uh, if you want blood, you've got it. But how different is that than Girls Got Rhythm? Or, yeah. You know what I mean? They all kind of have the yeah. same vibe, in a sense. 
And mad respect to ACDC, by the way. Those dudes are amazing. That last album they had is one of their better albums, and they're still able to do stuff with how they do it, man. Like, you know what I mean? And ACDC is a a band that a million people cover. Nobody sounds like it. never cover it right. Never. You know, if you think about in the, the same sense as Van Halen, all the movement right all the the changes and the switches are on like the end of four they're not on the they're not on the downbeat they're just not they're a little bit anticipated if you don't do that it doesn't have the swing of those of those songs it just doesn't you know you what for slow blues i play uh right on but also i play uh jesus left chicago but it's easy top and they're so similar yeah jesus just left i love trace ombre's uh, one of my buddies here on vacation, we've listened to it about 15 times. Uh, Trace Ombres is so good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, Trace nothing Ombres. against their 80 MTV stuff, their pop stuff. I know they're big fans, but I'll take that pre 80s hard blues rock anytime over that stuff. Their 70s stuff is un- untouchable. Oh, they're sure. like two different bands when they get to the 80s. Not that I don't like, you know, Give Me All Your Loving or a lot of that stuff. Right. But, but a lot of people have no idea they're a blues band when they because they're used to the MTV stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, sleeping bag ain't fucking uh, blues Ugh, back no, just got paid. I mean, come on, or, that's a great right. or I mean, wait for the bus or any of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, hot blue and righteous. Now I mean, I'm gonna have to go listen to that album when we're done with the podcast because no. now I like want to listen to it again. I love Trey Sombres, so good. Okay. I like the cover. I just, you know, yeah, yeah, I've seen that on shirts. Awesome. Every if you you know for your listeners if you don't like seventies ZZ Top, you know go in the mirror, look at yourself and wonder what happened. Something's wrong. Go fix that immediately. Oh, we've had a, quite a few of our guests on there even knew like Billy Gibbons or the guys or said hey they inspired me to play all the stuff like Tyler Bryant. I think uh, Sean. Ah um, um, oh, shoot, uh, Sean. Yeah, there you go um who else like i don't know simo like there, we had a lot of people brought up who brought up mm-hmm. zz top a Billy lot this was uh jimmy hendrix's favorite guitar player yeah you know famously but yeah great band great band so but, of, um go ahead, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no no you go ahead <laughs> yeah i uh you know as far as uh johnny johnny was really 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 uh it was a, a special thing that happened to me with that. And he was very, very generous with his time and breaking down a lot of the songs. We just talked about songs a lot. And, um, you know, look, uh, we came around to the same idea that, you know, 1992 is a year that, that neither of us will forget for different reasons and, you know, meant a lot to both of us and kind of, you know, inform what's going forward. Although Johnny's really killing it with his art right now and definitely isn't held back by, you know, some people are crippled by what happened in the past and unable to move forward due to past successes and trying to to recreate them. And I don't think he's in that space at all. I think Johnny's really as admirable as someone gets, he moves forward. Which yeah, Garmin. What's that? Gorman said that about Johnny too. Like, because I, when we had Gorman on, I asked him like what he meant at the end of that chapter where he said that Johnny Colt won the Black Crows. And he yeah. said that he moved forward, no second thoughts. He was sober. He was, Left on you his know, own terms. Had yeah. And never looked back and never. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a bunch of businesses and he does not care. Yeah. 
he's look, he's reverent to it to a certain extent, you know, he wouldn't take a shit on it or anything like that. And he's reverent about it, but at the same time, he's not crippled by the success of it. It doesn't, it, he can move forward and do something else without being like, but I, you know, I need to build on this. He doesn't, mm -hmm. he doesn't, you know, can, can we at least ask you, did he at least like, this is a real general question. Did he confirm what Gorman said in his book about everything? <laughs> he confirmed that he didn't read Steve's book. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. And why I don't, he doesn't have to read stories that he already knows about himself right. anyways, you know? So well, he was paying, always painting a good light in that book though, too. I don't think there is through anything too negative or anything negative out him, did he? No, no. Uh, he's the only one that knew music theory. He was the only hmm. musician. He went to music school. You know, he, he, he knows what he's talking about. You know, he's a great player. I mean, yeah. if you listen to those records, if you listen mm -hmm. to the, the records that he's on, his bass lines are great. And as much as I love Sven, Sven's awesome. He's a monster player. But Sven's on four records, I think. None of those lines are as good as the Johnny lines. Now, of course, the songs aren't as good as uh, in the later years as they are mm -hmm. in the beginning years. Sure. So I don't know how to quantify that exactly. But I know, like, the baseline in Thorn of My Pride is, like, for me, as good as it gets, you know? Or she gave good sunflower. Or listen to mm -hmm. nonfiction and tell yeah. me he's not good. I think he's amazing. So all of America, essentially. <laughs> well, I think those two songs, uh, other songs, like he doesn't do a ton in Gone, but what he does is tasty. Yeah. You know, he's never a guy that steps on it. I mean, Sven... He's not flashy. Sven is a super noty player that never... He's like the busiest player that doesn't sound busy. You know, that's a fine line, you know. Not everybody can be flea. You know, and um, and Sven does that incredibly effectively. But remember, he's he's also his choice is to play in a very mid rangey tone way up the neck. But he's between Mark Ford and Rich Robinson, right. and he struggles to be heard at the frequencies he's playing at. You know, because it turns kind of muddy. Johnny was able to be clearly in those frequencies where Sven wasn't. He plays much more up the neck. You know, so it all depends on what you like. I mean, I love the Johnny Fur hat and the bottle of Jack and such a badass. And uh, his tone, like if you listen to the bootlegs, I mean, the band in 1996, in my in my opinion, is the best version of the band ever. I know a lot of people point to 05 and 06. Those years were great. I saw a ton of those shows. Great band. But I think 96... Tough and '97, touch to tough, tough to touch that band. Best that Chris ever sang, I think. I couldn't agree with that more, Brian. His, I, I definitely said this on the State of America. That's the the zenith for his vocal range, his tone and whatnot. So, are you picking that year because of that, or is it the, the choices of the songs? Because you're right smack dab in the middle of the Holy Grail, a holy trilogy of albums. Like, what is it? Why does why is that year special? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think 1992 is like the most special. Like if you saw those shows, I don't know if you guys had seen uh, any of those shows or when you started seeing them or what. I saw them in 97, 98 the first time. Around okay, there. 98. My, my 98, first was yeah, opening right, night of the Amorica bus tour in St. Paul. Oh, cool. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have that bootleg somewhere. Um, and Minnesota, yeah, yeah. It was like Minnesota Frost or something it was called. Oh, no, that's Frost by Jubilee. That's from the First Avenue. Right, 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 right. That was when they were doing the secret. The secret shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I went and. Yeah, Frost by Jubilee. Somewhere. I got that too, yeah. Frost by Jubilee. Yes, I have that somewhere at home. Um, anyways, um, 96 I'm picking specifically because one, the the greatest uh, amount of those songs are brand new. The band's jamming them in a way that they didn't jam them before. The set lists are more unpredictable mm-hmm. than ever. I think Ford's playing and tone. I think later he went to that Rockaforte amp. I don't think it was as reliable. I don't think it's... T- they turned him down a little more in the mix than they did in 96. Um, I think he was better with the Marshall and the matchless um, tonally. Uh, he also used a gold top a lot more. Um, was he playing I, P90s in that? Were they humbuckers? You know, I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to look at the, the he played, he's played a lot with the Les Paul with P90s in it. And then humbuckers a lot, a lot of times I've seen him play. Right. His tone on those bootlegs is spectacular. Oh, P90 is a great pickup. I love them. I got this Les Paul special TV yellow back there with P90s in it. It's, can you see it? Is that a junior? Yeah. Uh, no, it's it's got two in it. Okay. So now it's um, just a Les Paul special. It's double it's special. Two, yeah, two P90s, yeah. Is that a telly behind it on the right? It the is right a telly. Pickup? SG and a... Uh, a tell yep telly sg strat, strat but i've got a les paul and some other stuff in a on a rack and against against the wall you like a show off brian look at all those guitars huh? yeah you yeah. think i'd be good at playing them <laughs> <laughs> right well the, the, the shittiest players have the best guitars i don't know if you know that jason you know oh, i've good. recorded three albums with my band we're working on album number four you think at some point in time i learned how to play the damn thing it's gonna happen man it's gonna happen <laughs> But uh, I think that that year is a special, special year, as Brian pointed out. One for Chris's voice, two for the jams are like spectacular, all spectacular and all with movement and all different in a certain way. I think that their choice of covers across the board, phenomenal. I mean, they were covering big time from Neil Young, like three weeks after the record comes out, you know, amazing. I'm just just killing it killing it those versions of big time in 96 especially little rock i think it's uh, december 3rd uh if you've never heard that just spectacular um they're playing a lot of unreleased songs like uh, i've been a big proponent of it my favorite song is spider and the sugar bowl blues it's real deep i don't know if you know it or you don't mm-hmm. yeah i love the drug imagery of it they were playing that a ton that tour is that on when they released the show enough box set? Was that included in one of the bonus tracks? No. No. I've got a version of it somewhere. Maybe it is a bootleg then. It is. They, there's, okay. a, there's a, a, a Holy Grail um, studio that came out maybe two years ago. Um, that's that's wonderful. Uh, okay. there, there's a show from Amsterdam. I think it's spring of 97 that has that on there. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. They played it in the European tour a bunch. They played it in Charlotte. I think it's uh, the 24th of November, um, 96. You can find a, a full version of it. Um, I saw them do it at Great Woods in 97 uh, at the Further Festival. Um, but they were playing a lot of those tunes with like, 
you know, the jam from pastoral in front of a bunch of those uh, morning songs and whatnot. I just think you have a huge variety uh, of things that they were doing that real hardcore fans revere mm-hmm. at that time. Not that, again, not that 05 and 06 isn't tremendous because it is, but 06 goes bad at some point, you know, 05 didn't feel that way. So that's why I kind of hang out with those years, usually on the pod. I mean, the next one I do is an 05 show, but okay. actually I think it's an 06 show. When did you start seeing the Crows? I saw them in uh, first time 1990. Okay. Uh, opening for Aerosmith uh, at Great Woods in Massachusetts. I'll say you're an East Coast boy from the Massachusetts, New Hampshire. You got to like Aerosmith. I adore Aerosmith. I used to follow Aerosmith around before the Black Crows. Um, I saw them in the 80s, maybe, I don't know, 20 times, 30 times. Did you see them during the bad years when uh, they're just all drugged out and well, they're Maybe Joe Perry right. wasn't in the band. <laughs> I didn't. Oh, oh, in 82. So there's a very famous show from the Worcester Centrum in 82 where Tyler straight up passes out five songs in because <laughs> Perry shows up backstage and they share some heroin and down goes Steven in front of the entire crowd. <laughs> um, but I didn't know. I, the first time I saw them was uh, 1986 on uh, Done for Mirrors. Okay. Yeah. You know, through yeah. the next like four years, I saw them a bunch of times. They were the first concert I ever went to, and Guns N' Roses opened up for them. Wow. 1988. I saw before I saw anybody them. knew Guns N' Roses were. Yeah. Yeah. August. Amazing. I saw them in August of '88 up here. I saw them at Riverbend Music Center in Cincinnati, and is it has probably July or August. I don't remember yeah. the month, but my older sister and her friends. So my older sister's four years older than me. They took me, and I was like, just, I was like. One goes to resident. I'm like, who the hell are these guys? Like, yep. they're awesome. They're also kind of scary. And then I love their Aerosmith and Led Zeppelin were my favorite bands, like from early on. And like, just it's a great show, man. That uh, Permanent Vacation album is, I love that. I still love that album. Yeah, I saw New Year's Eve that year. I saw a bunch of shows from uh, Aerosmith played a lot around around where I live. Once they cleaned up, like, because I saw them a bunch of times from that point on. They put on really good shows, you know. They just, I never, you know, I was too young. I never saw them when they were the toxic twins out there. Well, I mean, if, you, if you're thinking about the greatest front man of all time, there's maybe six or seven that you can mention, right? And yep. Steven Tyler has to be in that mix, right? Oh, Steven, Jeff. Mick, Plant, yeah, yeah. Roth. Chris, Roth, yeah. Steve uh, Marriott. Yeah, you throw Marriott in there. You Paul Rogers. Paul Rogers, I like. I'd throw in um, Peter Wolf. I think is criminally underrated at this point. Huh. If you've never seen Jay Giles live and seen, I've never Peter, seen him live. I've heard him live. Yeah, if you've seen Peter Wolf do his thing live, it's like, oh my god, you know, look at this guy. Well, where um, do you think Chris fits in the pantheon of great frontmen? Is he top five, top three? Now. All right, if we're, ta- if we're trying to take out personal bias. Yeah, take out personal bias. <laughs> no emotion. I don't think, as much as I love the Black Crows, and I think they are the most underrated band in the history of rock, I think I think you'd have to put Jagger ahead. I think you'd have to put Bono ahead. I think you'd have to put uh, Roth ahead. Right. I'm surprised by the Bono one. That's interesting. You ever seen U2 live? I have. 
Have you ever seen a guy control a, a crowd like that? That it, I don't know what it is, but that guy has it like. Oh, he's a, I mean, he's a front, I mean, listen, legendary band, he's a front man, but when you hear like people rank the greatest front man all time, you don't really hear Bono very often. So that just kind of threw me. Because people hate his politics. They don't uh -huh. think about him as a, as a front man. Like, look, I think Sting's a pretentious douchebag, but at the same <laughs> time, right? At the same time, Sting's fucking unbelievably talented. Right. You know how hard it and is. And charismatic. Like Bono has that piece, yeah. right? The charisma. And that's what it, I think that's what it takes. Yeah, absolutely. I think Bruce Springsteen is a guy that should be right in that conversation. You know, Eddie Vedder. Another guy that's uh, in that conversation. You know, I've seen Pearl Jam a shitload of oh, times. Me too. God. Yeah. He's amazing. I they always kill it on the East Coast too, man. Back in your hometowns, man. They, they crush they, it on the East Coast. They love Boston. They do. They love Boston. We get to, Boston's a good place to be for shows like this. Because Seriously. It's, a, it's maybe the best rock and roll town in America. You know, I think Detroit could say that. I think Chicago, Boston. Um, I think, uh, you know, Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden, you could, you could throw him in that, in that huh? category too. Seeing guys that can control a giant crowd in the palm of their hands. What about Dio? Now, again. You know, <laughs> I said that because I know you. <laughs> well, has there ever been a better voice? Straight up voice in the history of rock. Hard pressed. Hard pressed to beat him. Uh, he's got more, more range than Freddie Mercury and more power in that More chest. power. And can go from the cleanest, the cleanest of highs to a gravelly, throaty, you know, chest voice, full on power, like nobody in the history of music. Now, I've the, find me the comp, you know. There and, isn't. I, I, and for such a small guy, too. I mean, the guy can get to a six octave E flat. Look that up on a piano sometime. <laughs> You'll be like, oh my God, what a range he has. And yeah, Dio. I love Dio. Heaven and Hell is my favorite Black Sabbath album. Oh. The Mob Rules? Oh man, that's a good one too, brother. You said Heaven and Hell? Yeah. Yeah, I love Heaven and Hell. I, I do. I, I, I adore Rodney James Dio, but I can't put him ahead as much as I love him. I can't put him ahead of those other guys for how they control the crowd. What about Ozzy? I mean, we're talking about Sabbath. Where does yeah, C fit yeah, in? I would, I would have to put Ozzy in front. I hate it. It pains me. It pains me. <laughs> but you're not talking about pure singing skill. I'm it's all of it. And that's why Roth is up there. He's not a great singer, but he was a front man and entertainer. I saw I saw Van Halen with Roth and before he left. Okay. You know, yeah, uh, I saw him on Diver Down uh, and on 1984 and Roth was ridiculous, you know. Um, I think Chris is right in there. I don't know. Maybe I'd top put him ten, six, eight. seven, eight. Yeah, somewhere in there. Maybe maybe five to eight. He's amazing. That's fair. He's amazing. But I think you have to think of him in in front of a smaller crowd. As far as like soulful, like I think it depends on how we're gonna define the parameters of the argument. If you're talking about dudes that can really kill it with real soul in their voice, like Rod Stewart, or you know, to Brian's point, Steve Marriott, Paul or, Rogers, like Brian said, Paul Rogers. Well, yeah. Paul Rogers. In my opinion, you have Dio, 
and then you have Freddie Mercury, and then you have Paul Rogers, and then there's everybody else. Maybe Bruce Dickinson. Yeah. But then there's everybody else, you know. Those are the big three for me, you know, in a talent, you know, technical sense, you know, great, great, great players. But as far as just <clears throat> great players, go ahead, Brian, I'm sorry. How about favorite bass player? Do you have one? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm very, very, very much a John Paul Jones guy. Oh, he's right? the MVP of Led Zeppelin. I don't care what you tell me. That dude made those guys go. Listen to Ramble On and don't yeah. listen to the, the, the counter melody. The do, do, don't listen to the counter melody at the beginning. Listen to what happens when the chorus comes in, okay? And you hear this insane flurry of notes. Realize that that's two notes. That's an E and an A. Do, 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 do. It's, it's insane. Rhythmically what that guy does. Rhythmically. And, you know, I agree with Jason. He is Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. He really is. That, that guy's the glue of everything. Played I the mandolin, played the organ and melodrum. Like that di- well, he was a composer. He was an arranger. He arranged orchestras. You I know. think he played a lot of guitar on Coda or something, too, when Paige was too strung out on heroin. He did a, most of that stuff on that album. I'm, well, I'm a big fan of him. I love uh, Robert DeLeo from uh, the Stone Temple Pilot. Yeah, yeah. I think he's amazing. James Jamerson is like, it makes my head hurt. You know, just listen to, you know, listen to I Was Made to Lover from Stevie Wonder and just think to yourself, that's three chords. Well, you got to love funk bass. I'm sure you love funk bass players because that's kind of like, how do you get better than those guys? I, I actually don't. Seth and I have this argument. Really? Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised to hear that. Yeah, I'm not much on Flea or. Uh, I'm not talking Flea, but I'll be, you know. Um, you mean like Larry Graham and people like yeah, that? Yeah, like, yeah. And look. I think they're great. It's just not my jam. Okay. So you're just right. you're straight up the rock guy. Yeah. Like you like the rock bass players. Well, I like a lot of the jazz guys. You know, I, I think Stanley Clark is amazing. You know, whenever, uh, whenever I'm looking at online, like reviews, like YouTube guys playing YouTube playing, when I'm looking, studying or not studying, but like shopping, window shopping for basses on YouTube. Yep. As soon as I hear that slapping and popping, I'm like, next. <laughs> I mean, great. Like you said, it's awesome playing, but it's just not my thing, man. It's just like, oh. Look, I know Les Claypool is fucking ridiculous, but he doesn't, he doesn't move me. Right. Yeah. Well, that's like Ingwe Momstein's like this great technical guitar player, but uh, guitar player, I don't enjoy his stuff. I'm like, that is just not good to me. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, Paul, I, Paul McCartney. I know, look, who isn't going to say that? But I think Sting is ridiculous, you know? I think he's amazing. Um, You know, the dude from Little Feet. uh, You know, I love Geezer Butler. I love a lot of guys. I like guys that play with their fingers. I like Mm -hmm. guys that play counter melodies. I like guys that sit in the pocket and they don't phrase too much. And they let you know they're there, but they glue everything together. You know, that's a certain style of bass player where in a lot of bands, that's not the case. You know, it's either they play way too much. Like, uh, you know, Flea is like, and look, the guy's a million times better than I am. I, you know, but it's like watching a dude beat off on stage. I don't right. <laughs> That's what I call, that's same, that's what I call anything Malmsteen's doing. He's like jerking off on a guitar, like, like a million notes a second. Like who? 
Well, he wants to be Richie Blackmore, but he doesn't have his soul. Yeah, for you sure. Know? Seriously, that's who he wants to be, but he'll never have that kind of soul. Or, or uh, uh, guy I love from the from the Scorpions, um, Uli John Roth. Yeah, uh, you know, Uli can play that fast, you know, but he plays melodically. You know, I love dudes that play beautiful melody lines. That's what I like, you know. You're not a Benny Vincent guy. <laughs> I mean, Benny Vincent. <laughs> it's not really my my jam. I mean, it was the first thing I really liked as a kid. Yeah. I was in the Kiss Army at like seven. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to hear God of Thunder. Right. Uh, or or what, what was the Vinny record? Was that I Love It Loud? Mm, he may have played on that. I don't Look remember which Kiss album. I've heard like both Vinnie Vincent and Invasion albums, so he's a he's a little overboard on the first one. Well, I'll just look, put it that I, way. I can play like the wind, but again, doesn't mean doesn't mean you're gonna like what they're doing, though. You know. Well, it's like the metal guys, right? If you're talking about guitar, like people love guys like George Lynch or or um, uh, who's the uh, Warren D. Martini, right? I'm right not from Rat, yeah. I, I don't mean it that way I think they I like a lot of those songs but like I'd rather hear Vivian Campbell playing Dio he played a lot more melodically he wasn't playing a metal guitar like the dudes in Maiden play they play Strats and they play Gibsons and mm -hmm. that I, I want to hear that like thick tone out of those dudes you know versus this like Charvel metal guitar or a Jackson or something <laughs> you know? it's just it just moves me in a different way tonally you know and you know as you as you play a lot more and you explore music a lot more you know the tonal aspect of the music is going to mean something to you it just is you know and i think a lot of times when you say what's your favorite well what am i in the mood for sometimes i love oasis yeah you know sure but I love their, the, the thick tone behind them. I love their melody, that kind of thing. You know, I know those guys are dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Separate the art from the artist, man. That's right. That's right. But they could write a hook as good as anybody in the 90s. Cigarette, but and they, but they, they knew how to rip stuff off. Sure. Just caught the vibe of it, right? You hear cigarettes and alcohol, and that's like a total T-Rex. Oh, for sure. You know, yeah, T Rex and Lizzie, all that kind of vein. Uh, yeah, uh, and Lizzie, like the cowboy song, you know, uh, so good. I like he's a great bass player, you know, but he didn't play a million notes, right? It's not about that. You're playing within the song and making the song better, not making you the song. That's right. That's your gig. There's room to phrase for everybody. But, you know, your job as a bass player really is to hold the bottom end and, and give it some bounce, you know, play the notes in the right spot. How important is it for you to lock on to like a, the right drummer, I guess, because you guys are the ones who are really kind of keeping that going on. Like, so what's your relationship with drummers? Um, well, your relationship with drummers uh, should be paramount if you're a bass player because you're really providing the backbone and the foundation of the music. You have to work together. You really have to work together. I really have to understand what that kick drum is doing. You know, I, I either have to be playing on the one and three with him or playing on the two and four without him. What am I going to play with? Am I going to play with the snare? Am I going to play with, am I going to play, you know what I mean? So if you're yeah. mapping 
your notes and your feeling or whatever it's going to be. Is he playing four, four? Is he playing three, four? What's the vibe? Where's he, where's he coming in? And can I lead him into this change or is he leading the change? You kind of have to have these things mapped out because then, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a groundwork for most guitar players to then be able to, to lay the melody over it. And, and you know, the, the average listener's ear is going to go directly to the, the, the highest, uh, the highest pitched instrument, be it voice or be it guitar, which is why people only give a shit about guitar players and singers, which is fine. I mean, the compliment is if you're playing, are people dancing? Are they moving? Are they bouncing? If they're doing that, then you're doing your job. So as far as a drummer for me, I want one that's going to listen to me and I'm going to listen to them, him, her, whoever it might be. And that we work together to lay the palette for everybody else to be great. You know, and one that takes their time, that isn't too, that can play ahead of the beat just a little bit or behind the beat a little bit or on the beat, depending on what the song demands. Someone that only, that isn't so like, I got to hit everything as hard as I can. I need to bash big drums all the time. But someone that's concerned with the vibe of the song. I've played with the same dude for four years now. He, uh, I played with him in Syndicate, the band before Syndicate, and he joined the Americans a year and a half ago, right before the pandemic. And uh, Scott's really an amazing drummer. But, um, you know, it's not like, you know, you think about John Paul Jones, he had to contend with, with John Bonham. Right. Better be good. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Right. One Better. of the greatest drummers of all time, if not arguably the greatest uh yeah 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 depending on what you're talking about absolutely absolutely but I, I you know i look for someone that's that that cares about the song yeah that's all you should ever be concerned with by the way is the song can you make the song sound good you know what do you what's your job and that that's the thing people i think get in doing these things is what ideally what's your job your job is to, as as a as anybody in the rhythm section, make pe- make it bounce, and and lay the palette for everybody else to sound great. You know, like the bass player for me and Brian, you might be able to back this up, right? The bass player is like being a catcher on a baseball team. Like nobody gives a shit about the catcher. They just right. don't. yeah, they don't. They don't care about what kind of game you call, right? They're going to give all the all the value Go to the pitcher, to the lead singer, lead guitar player, yeah. Which is fine, but every pitcher needs a, the greatest pitchers all have a personal catcher. Yep, they all do. You know, and then you're not usually the best hitter, but they're the best catcher. I That's I, I can't name a song off the top of my head, but I get more surprised when I hear songs where the baseline is basically the melody, is basically like driving the song, and it's almost like the guitars go into just the rhythm section. Uh, pictures of you by cure well i mean god there's a lot of them yeah Uh, like that stevie wonder song i brought up Mm -hmm. um you know uh uh, what's the name of that tune the the cream song sunshine of your love yeah there you go well like the pictures of you by the by the cure you know that listen to that song that's all like either the guitar and the bass are both playing low notes man well, how about the mountain song from Jane's Addiction? Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a you know, a, a ton of songs by Jane's mm. Addiction, driven by the bass player. 
you know, so a lot of, I think that the point is, is that everybody needs to work together in a band. You're a band. What does the song demand, really? That's why we're very successful in the Americans because it's not about any one person. It's not. What does this particular song demand? You know, if we're going to play Horsehead, what's the most important part of Horsehead, right? Is it the girl's beautiful backup singing in that, in the chorus? Is it, is it the, the bass line underneath that riff? Is it the riff? Mm-hmm. Is it the thunderous drums? The drums are unbelievable in that song. You know, it's all about all of those things together. You know, I, we're in a society where everybody wants to break everything down and say, this is the best, or this part's the best, or I want my props, or all those things. And they all mean something, but what's, what's important is teamwork. So are we getting close to that part of the show, Jason? You tell me, man. This well, is your show. Before, before we get into that, <laughs> one thing we always ask our guests is like, so you you grew up in New Hampshire. Is like Boston the biggest city you're close to? Because we want to ask you what the music scene was like where you grew, I grew up. up in, uh, in a town called Chelmsford in Massachusetts. It was about mm, a half an hour outside of Boston, north of Boston. Robert Frost country, if you will. Right. So, I mean, did you basically go to, your music scene was basically Boston then, for the most part, or? Uh, Worcester was the big, so I uh, I grew up next door to a ticket agent, so I was scalping tickets for him at 14 years old. <laughs> <laughs> everything you can name, because, you know, he would hand me all his tickets. I got the best uh, two or four to every show. His brother ran the Worcester Centrum, and I don't know what's in Cincinnati. That would be akin to what's the place, the who, the trample thing, Riverfront Stadium, was it? Uh, Coliseum. Coliseum, yeah, yeah. Same idea, right? It's like a 17,000-seat arena. Everything ran through there. Um, So, you know, uh, from the time I was 14, I scalped tickets there until I was like maybe 25. I saw everything. I saw I, the seats were always in the first five rows. So I saw shit I didn't want to go to because the seats were so good, you know? But I mean, as far as like local bands, like when you're just starting in bands, like where was that pretty much all Boston for you or? Well, let me say this. I'm an anomaly. I didn't start playing until I was 40. So wow, I mean, did really? you start playing an instrument or playing in bands? Uh, playing an instrument. No, really? Yeah. Wow. Wow, nice, man. That gives me some faith in myself. <laughs> I figured that you were a trained guy. I've been playing since you were a kid. No, no. I decided wow. uh, I wanted to do it when I was 40. I decided to take it real seriously, maybe 44, 45. And uh, I've been working with a Berkeley trained professional. Damn. Uh, I take lessons every week. You know, I practice a ton. I, and you're playing Crow stuff, which is not easy. It's not your typical bar band cover songs, man. That's incredible. Well, well, I think anybody can, well, I want to learn how to play piano now. I think, look. You have uh, to have some natural music ability too at the same time. Yeah. But I'll say this, and I really mean this, as a, as a teacher, I would tell this to my students. You can do within reason anything you want to do in life. You can. So I'm not saying you can play center for the Boston Celtics, okay? You probably can't do that. I'm six foot. I'm not, I'm not doing that. You know, 
or or shortstop for the Red Sox or or the Reds or whatever. Right. right? You probably can't do that. But if you want to learn how to play an instrument and play it well, you can definitely do that. You just have to work hard at it. You know, you just have to work mm -hmm. hard at it. Look, yeah. I started with the lessons, uh, the piano lessons, like last month. You know, a year from now, I'll be able to play because I'll put in the work and the time required to do that. A lot of people aren't willing to put in the time. Nothing is an act. So I can tell you about the scene I saw when I went to see cover bands and my friends' bands and whatnot, but I wasn't involved in any of that. But seeing it all has informed what I want to do now. Mm -hmm. And the way I conduct myself in all of those things. So if, you know, one of your listeners out there is like, oh, maybe I should learn how to play guitar. I would say maybe you should. Yeah. Maybe you should take the time. Do it. You are, you can do anything you want. Ignore the naysayers. I had so many people say, what are you having a midlife crisis? You'll never be able to do this or all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, go on. And you sing. <laughs> Yeah, a little, a little. Well, I sing, I sing a tune or two. You know, yeah, I don't do. That's kind of range, but you know, I can sing. Uh, I can sing some rock and roll too. You're like Rich. You sing the songs that fit your voice. I think our voices are very similar, to be honest. I, I do too. I can sing his. Uh, I'm singing the Giving Key right now, and at some point, I'm gonna sing that in the band. Well, you're the guy who also does the Oh Sweet Nothing when you guys play the cover too. I could do Fearless. I can do a lot. Yeah. Of Oh, that's a great Floyd. That's might be my favorite Floyd song. I love that song. And we're going to spin this into what I always harass you guys and Morkins about a Black Crow song I'm going to play. So Fearless is very, very similar to Oh Josephine. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh Josephine is the next uh, tune on the list, by the way. Is like, it? Okay. Legitimately the next tune. I I've been harassing you guys about that forever. Uh, it's not on me. I know it. I know. I know it. I could play if I had my bass here, I'd start playing it for you. I know I can play. play that song. That's how easy it is. Yeah. I could play but, a standard and open G and with slide and no slide. But when you put it all together with a big organ. It's gorgeous. That's a gorgeous song. That coda, that coda at the end of that song is one of the best I've ever heard in any song ever. It's not the it's so good. When they jam on out of there. Oh man. Oh man. You major scale without the five. That lot that live is just tremendous. And, you know, it's, it, you could turn it into Fearless, which is kind of a G major scale. Well, that outro riff in Oh Josephine is almost exact the Fearless main riff. Well, right, except That's for, what you're talking about, the G without the fifth. Riff, yeah. The Fearless riff, though, has the five. Yeah, right, and the Oh Josephine does not, yes. But it's, because right. when I, when I, Played Fearless, and then I started learning. Just I'm like, wait a second, like, oh yeah. So I picked up that closing riff pretty easy because I'm like, this is the same thing as it's open G. It's this, and like I can I can I can play in standard the same like you know. Yeah, I fun. played three spots on the neck, and but you know, totally that tune is all about letting those notes ring. It's and gorgeous. It's slow. Well, you know, the best songs are you, you take stuff what you like about other music and you make it yours. And Oh, Josephine, why it plays a little homage to Fearless. It is its own song and I love it. It's one of my favorite Black Crow songs. I agree with you. I'm a huge fan of that tune. I think it's the natural cousin to Girl from a Pawn Shop almost a little bit. It's got a little bit of that kind of country, uh, you know, 
I think they have the same vibe. They're not brother sister, but they're cousins. No, I think they have the same vibe. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like, it's like a share the ride with another roadside tragedy. There you go. The Similar subject matter. <laughs> I always got feathers and title song as twins too. <laughs> I'm sorry, title song and feathers. Agreed. Agreed. Feathers is actually. Uh, I love that one. Feathers yeah. is a great mellow vibe. Tough. Another roadside tragedy is a tough song to play. So, and let me share the ride of three chords. It's G, C, and D. That's it. Except for the one little walk up E, F, G. And that's it. But another roadside tragedy is like it's got that whole funk walk up. It's really that's a that's a, and it modulates in the middle. Mm -hmm. I think it modulates to E flat at one point. Um, yeah, I think you can make, if, you know, the point with all these things is to make connections. You know, I teach literature and, and my whole, my whole game, my whole, uh, thought process and all these things is to get kids to make connections with what's important in their lives to literature and the literature will come alive for them. No different, Brian. I, you know, mm -hmm. I don't agree with you about, uh, about share the ride and, uh, roadside tragedy, like. I see how you make the connection. Well, just lyrically, the driving a car. <laughs> yeah, man. I think, you know, that's cool. You know? Um, yeah. I think that Fearless and uh, and Josephine, definitely, from a technical sense, are right next door to each other. We've actually talked about mashing them up. That would be awesome. We mash up uh, Twice as Hard and uh, Morning Song. Well, I mean, the Crows have played Fearless, right? They played that. I've got played records with them playing that on there, yeah. Yep. If we play it, though, I want this, the Ford slide solo, not the thing from uh, from Cabin Fever. I don't want yeah. that. Okay. I want the big slide solo from, from 05. Well, who's doing the slide? Is it Kevin or Rolly in your band? Uh, Rolly plays slide on uh, Willen. Rolly plays more slide than Kevin does. Okay. Rolly's really a great musician and underrated player. He's one of those guys, man. He does everything, but he looks for zero credit. I have tons of respect for Rolly. He only gives a shit about the song. That's it. We can't even get him to the front of the stage when he's soloing with Kevin in Wiser Time. <laughs> like, oh, I'm all set, you know. But uh, I'll tell you what, listen, listen to us do Willen. That, that slide is just delish. Sounds like Lil George. Yeah, man. Love it. I mean, you guys have stuff all over YouTube. You got your own YouTube channel. You post stuff all the time on Facebook. Like, anybody that likes the Crows or good rock music should absolutely check you guys out for sure. Yeah, please check out, if, you, if you're interested in what we do, check out Americans.com. You can check out the Americans on Facebook. We have an Instagram presence. We also have a Twitter. Uh, you can uh, direct message us. Um, if you have any questions, you're looking to book a gig, you want to come to a gig, we've got all that information there for you. Questions about the best Black Crows bootlegs from whatever years, we go to you, Nebuchadnezzar, on Twitter, on Instagram. Yep, yep. You can friend me on Facebook, and we can we can go over it. Remember, that that's, a, that's very much a subjective opinion-based business. Uh, some people think I'm full of shit, I, although I get a lot of kudos. Unless we go on the Amorica three board and then, uh, you know, everyone's got their own opinion. So, well, Jason, I think it is that time of the show. We get about 20 minutes left in the zoom. So oh, we'll, we'll do a fast lightning round. Steve, when you get to the guilty, 
when you get to the guilty pleasure part, I yes. got to, I got to, I got something to add to that. Okay. <laughs> so, All right. I will see, I will make sure I give you notes on that one. All right, Steve, we always end our podcast with a lightning round with our guests. Just okay. quick, easy questions for you to answer. Okay. Don't overthink them. Nope. All right. My first question is what is your go-to base right now? It's my uh, 73 Fender Tele. Okay. So it's, it's the rich and not the spin. Rich, the rich Robinson. Base. Okay. Very good. What is the first album you remember getting? Black Sabbath Paranoid. Oh, nice. Yeah, How old were you? Seven years old. I, I was playing basketball at a neighbor's house and I heard war pigs emanating out of a, his older brother's bedroom. And I was like, what is, what is this? What is that? I need to have that. So yeah, I begged my mother for it, who was like, Black Sabbath, <laughs> you know, good uh, Catholic woman. Um, so yeah, that record. Okay. Um, what is your favorite venue to go see a show? Uh, the Hampton Beach uh, Club Casino and Ballroom in beautiful Hampton Beach, New Hampshire. It's the favorite venue of the Black Crows. Magpie. Uh, the Magpie Salute. I've seen Tesla there a million times. And oh, they nice. Said, we love they Tesla. Said that that is their favorite place in America to play. I'm going to see them there in September. Are you really lucky? Can I get me a ticket now? I'm flying in. <laughs> Come in. Come in. Um, I love that room. I, yeah. I love the Orpheum in, in Boston. Right. Um, but yeah, that room's special. As a musician, what is your favorite venue to play? Uh, we played Daryl's house in uh, Pauling, New York, and that was absolutely amazing. Um, but I'll say we play this, this uh, bar in Massachusetts called the Skybox. And I would consider that home base. We played a lot of shows there. We've done really well there in the past and attracted people that have come a multitude of times and it kind of feels like home. And I really do enjoy playing there. But I'll say this, I enjoy playing in my basement. I enjoy playing that Black Crows music wherever we are. So no matter where you're playing, you're happy. Yeah, absolutely. Because I dreamt about doing it for years. Right. So yeah, absolutely. What is your favorite Black Crows song? To play? To listen to. Uh, Give me a top three. Give me a top three right now. I know it's subjective. Black Crows. Uh, uh, no Speak, No Slave. Uh, pawn Shop. Uh, Spider and the Sugar Bowl Blues. Okay. What is your favorite Crows song to play? Thorn of My Pride. What gives you goosebumps on your arm when you play it? Uh, the middle of the jam in my morning song. The, the breakdown, sun- they bring it down. Yeah, the sunrise part at the end when it comes back when up. When your singers start, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole That's thing. my favorite song live, and that's one of my favorite pieces. That actually gives me goosebumps on my arm when I, when I hear it, when they play that. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, it's like going to church. It's it an experience. What is uh, the best Boston-based band? What's your favorite Boston-based band, I should say? It's hard for me not to say Aerosmith, even All though right. I'm the Jay Giles band. I mean, Jay Giles, Cars, Aerosmith, Boston. I mean, you, there's so many bands that have come extreme. out of Boston. Extreme. I like, hey, I like Extreme. Extreme. I like extreme. Those, those songs are tough to play, and they're, they're a good live band. Yeah, um, for sure. 
I think the cars are amazing too. I, 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 I'd have to say Aerosmith. Okay. No, that's, that's a good call. I would, that's how I would choose, but there are a lot of good ones. Jake to go by. It's like neck and neck with you guys. Who is the greatest Boston athlete of all time? It has to be Tom Brady. It has to be. It has he's, to be. He's got the rings. I don't know, man. I grew up with Larry Bird. I was so going to say, Larry. I mean, you got Bobby Orr. You got all these guys, man. Like uh, David Ortiz was as yeah. good as it gets. Um, I don't know. Ray Bork. Yeah. I have to say Tom Brady. How can you not? I cannot because I hate him. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, don't you live in Cincinnati? I'm a Cincinnati sports guy, so right, I just, right. I'm just, okay. I'm bitter. Let's be honest. You don't hate him. You just hate yourself. I hate that. <laughs> you know, I hate winning because obviously nobody right. I root for ever wins. Although shit. I actually really like Cincinnati. I don't think they should have taken Jamar Chase. I think that was stupid. Uh, I would have beefed up the offensive line. Taking the offensive line. Yeah. I think that team could be really, really good. They got they have a wicked good receiving core now. And I just as long as they give uh Joe a little chance to throw the ball, they should score Reggie some points. Tyler Boyd. I don't know what you're thinking. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. They don't they don't ask me before they make these decisions. I've tried. All I've, all I've gotten out of is restraining orders. So it's just the Bengals being the Bengals. It's just Bengals being the Bengals. That's Absolutely. Right. That's right. <laughs> um so you're a literature teacher. What is your favorite book of all time? Uh, uh, what genre? Can we do that? Is that, that too much? Well, know. you listen, it's an open like, question. Like, what's your favorite record oh. ever? Uh, what's that? Well, give me some across genres then, man. It's an open right. question. Uh, There's well, no wrong we answer. In uh, Potosky, um, Michigan, and it was the home of, uh, for a while, Hemingway, and he wrote the Nick Adams stories there. And like, that collection of short stories got me through the teacher's test in Massachusetts, the big two hearted river. And, you know, I think that shit's amazing. So uh, I love Stephen King. I know I'm not supposed to say that. Why? I love the talisman. If you've ever read that book, I think that's maybe me. I thought the stand was unbelievable. Yeah. I love yeah. Um, I, I really like, uh, uh, it's such a hard question. You got a good cho a choice for us to read right now? Something recent that you've picked yeah, up read, or liked? Read, read The Trials of Henry Kissinger. Okay. By, um, Christopher Hitchens, if you like. Oh, Christopher Hitchens. Yeah, I mean, he's been he's an author and political guy for a long time. Yeah, polemicist to uh, that particular book was about uh, a look at, at um, Kissinger as a war criminal. Uh, that was really, really amazing. And meticulously footnoted. I thought that was a great book. I will check it out. That's a good recommendation. Um, give us one or two go-to Black Crows concerts that you can find on YouTube. It's like, hey, you got to go check this out. All right. So if you would, again, if you're looking for like big, big vibe. 90, no, no, no. You tell me, man. Just This, is, your, this is Steve's picks for YouTube. Okay, Steve's picks for, for videos. 1993, May of 93, you go find the Pink Pop Pink Festival. Pop. Yeah, and watch Seen that Thor My Pride. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, I think that's amazing. I think the 93 show in Daytona, you can find pretty easily. That No Speak, No Slave is off the hook. They're really good in that. I think find um, you can find uh, 123005. Uh, from Providence. That's, in my opinion, the greatest set list ever. It's 
the night before New Year's in 05. Steve writes about it in his book and said, the best show we probably ever played is the night before the biggest show we ever <laughs> played. And, you know, I was there and he's right. Oh my God, that show was unbelievable. You know, find that, that show. Um, <clears throat> 96, you can find every, all the New York shows, uh, 10.30, 1031 and 11196, all from the Beacon Theater. I think that the 30th is the best of all of them. The version of the weight from that is intense. I love when they were in their band period where they're playing a bunch of band songs. God, yep. that was so good. That's really excellent. Uh, the November 1st show has a, a wiser ballad that's amazing. Um, and they do morning song in that one, I think. Uh, that's a really, really, and the dreams that they do with Warren Haynes on Halloween, plus the jelly donut. If you're familiar with, they all mm -hmm. dress up Elvis and sang Elvis covers. Yep. I think that's so worth your time. Uh, for an 05 show, I would find, uh, Vegas, uh, yes. You know, five, uh, it's like was, a three hour show. I've watched that one. Uh, that was my 35th birthday. I flew out to Damn. Vegas those shows. The show the next night, I think, was better, but you can, it's hard to find the video for it. Uh, I think that show's tremendous. Those are uh, quick hitters. I've asked David and Ian when they go for subjects for the podcast, I'm like, do like the top 10 Crows concerts you can watch on YouTube. I mean, that'd be great. They haven't done it yet. They need to do that. Well, I'd, I'd like to see the segment become like its own segment, like the chats kind of thing. Yeah really kind of break it down because a lot of times we'll go over it it'll be an hour long and they'll they'll play 20 minutes of it sure you'd be better if they did it that way but again i mean who am i they're gracious enough to have me on you know what i mean so okay last question before we go to the um the fun one um what is one song that you wish you'd written when you hear it like man i'd love to have written that song any song. It doesn't have to be Crows. Anybody. I wish I wrote Visions of Johanna by Bob Dylan. I, oh. I think it's uh, lyrically the greatest song ever written. Maybe the greatest song ever written. Um, well, as a literature guy, I'm going to take your word for it, man, because you're, you're going to know words. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with it. No, I'm not. I'll go. I'm going to go check it out after this podcast, though. Visions of Johanna or maybe Ripple by the Grateful Dead. What a song. What a song, you know. Um, yeah, those two. Very nice. Okay, Brian, we're going to go into the guilty pleasure artist or song, but well, I'm going to throw it to you first, Brian. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, because we try to pick a guilty pleasure song and some some people have some and some people go, no, I don't really have a guilty pleasure. But just for this episode, we're both bass players, like, Guilty pleasure bass solo for me is shout by Tears for Fears. Nice. Oh, <laughs> it's a good solo. <laughs> How about Girls' School by Britney Fox? Oh, <laughs> there's a bass solo in that. No, but it's oh. a guilty pleasure song. Oh, sure. I like Britney Fox. There, <laughs> cheesy as shit. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, but I love that shit. I uh, do too. <laughs> guilty pleasure bass stuff. How about uh, Rio from? Uh, Duran Duran. Yeah. It shouldn't be guilty pleasure. Ever seen right. that Yeah, I, I got a friend that talks about John Taylor all the time. John Taylor, right? The bass player. It's funny. 
everybody we have and ask that question very rarely they're like you know music's good and like whatever i like i'm gonna like it but Dave o'grady from cfo green was basically like if i like it it's good it's not a guilty pleasure <laughs> <laughs> I loved his episode on State of America. I he, he's good. He was fun when we had him. You know, we tried to steer away from too much crow stuff because they covered all that. But yeah. good dude. He's funny. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. But I think that's maybe my guilty pleasure thing, I guess. You know, Br so, Brittany so, Fox. What's, I love Brittany Fox. I'll co sign with you. <laughs> co sign. I'm, yeah. I'm taking that one. You can't say anything shitty, else. I love shitty hair metal. <laughs> <laughs> Fallen Angel from Poison, count me in, you know. <laughs> uh, I like the first Warrant. I like Warrant. I even, they, you know, they had some catchy stuff, man. Dude, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Try That's a good tune. It's a really good song. All those bands have It's their only good song, but. <laughs> I love Dawkins. No. You know, I love Rat. I love all those. I, I, Rat was my teenage crush. Yeah, man. Try and play Lay It Down. It's not e I I work on riffing on Way Cool Junior, man. That's a nice little blues riff, but that ain't easy. It sounds easy, but it's it's not. Yeah. No, I know. That's the, some of that stuff's kind of hard to play. It it is, and those guys, you know, we'll give them credit where credits due. Yeah, Striper. You know, I almost said uh, makes me want to sing. Michael Sweet uh, sang for Boston. Did you know that on a oh, yeah. tour for a year? And I think his wife did backup vocals or something, or played, did something with him too. He lives up here. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like Striper, to, stri people shoot on crap on Striper, but those guys are good. And they released an album a, a couple of years ago. It was real heavy. And that stuff oh, yeah. that they're doing now, that Michael's doing with uh, uh, Tracy Guns that they just released. Um, have you listened to it? I haven't, but I love oh, LA Guns. Oh, it is heavy 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 uh, i just saw la guns right before the pandemic started we're gonna be talking to ace von johnson at the podcast expo oh nice well sing rip and tear for me I, all right <laughs> we'll do that well steve we appreciate you being on here being our first guest post vacation and it's steve gleason he's with the americans the number one black crows tribute band and also um with what's the name of the other bands uh Indicate. Syndicate. I knew it had Syndicate, but we know him from the Americans. Check him out. He's a good dude. He also has a little bit of a, his own, I don't know, show section on the State of Memorial podcast called Steve's Picks, where he goes over uh, your favorite bootlegs, I believe, right? Yeah, I, uh, I, I review Black Crow's bootlegs. So back, State of America with the Americans. Check them out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's the Americans. Also, uh, Steve Gleason. I know you go by Nebuchadnezzar individually. So check them out. And uh, we appreciate being on here, Brian. Yeah, thank you so much, Steve. If you could just uh, hang out for a couple minutes, we get done rolling. We'd appreciate it. Look, I appreciate you guys' time and having me on. And, All right. Thank you. That's Steve Gleason, bass player from the Americans Black Crows Tribute Band. Well, all right, another wonderful conversation as uh, we knew it would turn out to be. Uh, let me tell you what I, one thing, it was kind of cool at, you know, when we're talking about the guilty pleasures to find out like he used to be into the hair metal as well. <laughs> I wasn't expecting- All the cool what, kids were in the hair metal, Brian. <laughs> I wasn't expecting what his guilty pleasure was, but it's like, I did uh, resist the temptation to go onto YouTube and revisit those songs. So I didn't want to have. I was them in my excited head. because I like Britney Fox. <laughs> <laughs> Unironically, 
I was too busy uh, going back and looking at, uh, you know, my bass solo, Guilty Pleasure, Tears for Fears, uh, Shout. That bass that solo be that I could never play. Radio. That better be on the intro edited in. I've <laughs> not done it yet, and I'm going <laughs> to do this. <laughs> we could shock the crap out of everybody. You like just do like the cheesiest intro songs. <laughs> uh, what what happened to this podcast? <laughs> you know, it is a southern rock and blues inspired podcast, but we do have a habit. We can go out outside the ballpark. You know, it's we're music fans. Speaking, you know that we. People are like, what the, why are you guys talking about Britney Fox? But it, it made me, I had this memory and I'm like almost 100% sure about this when I've searched, though I haven't been able to find anything by the band, but I'm pretty sure that when Jeff Cease got fired from the Black Crows, him and the singer guitar player, I think his name is Dean Davidson. Yeah. Indeed, they yeah. started a band called Black Eyed Susan. Really? And I swear there was almost a song or something. So if any Black Crows fans like followed whatever G Jeff Cease did, you know, before he got to playing Let with Eric, Eric Church us. now, but yeah, so that, you know, so maybe there is some slim little like, kind of like, hey. like seven degrees of separation. Brittany Fox that, has some blues inspired riffs. <laughs> They've covered Hair of the Dog by Nazareth, which isn't a blues. That I did not know. Album. Yeah, it's on their third album, maybe. Yeah, so it's actually a good cover. And yeah. also, Guns N' Roses covered that, and Framing the Red out of Mississippi covered that. Yeah, and at some point, we should hopefully have Framing the Red come on here. I know you. Yeah, you know, I've reached out to him, and I will keep on doing that. But anyway, Steve Gleason, great guy, uh, very knowledgeable. I was shocked as crap to find out he started playing bass like 40, because he's really good. Yeah, well, 10 years ago, yeah, it's freaking amazing. Yeah, and like, I've talked to Steve and known him for a couple of years now, and that never came up, and like, he surprised me, and... The Americans is a great band. Like all the, like all the, the singers, the guitar player, everybody is really good. So anybody listening, if you like the Black Crows, check them out. They're on all over social media. If you live in the Northeast, they play up and down the Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New York areas. Like it, it's really good, but check out their live stuff on YouTube. Um, they played live from Daryl's house. So, you know, Daryl from, from Hall and Oates, you know, you don't get to go play that venue yeah, if you're a right. sucky band. Right. Yeah. Yeah, is that YouTube somewhere? Is that I mean they actually the whole play show is on YouTube. If you okay. go to the Americans uh, page on YouTube, that that shows on there. Okay, check it right out. On. Right really on. good, and it's you know they're playing with a great sound system too because it's a professional venue. Mix is really good. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'll be the first one to admit, and I've said this before. Usually, usually if somebody tries to present a tribute band to me, usually like I'm out, I'm out, except for the fact if it's like a tribute to the music and not an impersonation right impersonations as good as some may be just i guess for me and i'm not going to put it down but for me the impersonation just doesn't you know it doesn't eat music or whatever like like celebrity impersonations or whatever i'm just that's usually where i'm out but if it's a, just a music celebration of music that's okay that's that's that i can get into Right. And again, these guys don't try to, they dress like how, who they are, what they are. You know, they have cred. They've got, they know guys from the Black Crows who talk to them of like what they've done, who still communicate with them. I mean, you heard Steve owns a, a bass from Spin and a bass from Rich. You know, Amazing. You know, th those guys would be hypercritical of that band 
if they didn't think they were legit and they are legit. Um, they're good people, good music, and they do the crows, uh, the side projects, the covers justice when you hear them. And man, I like them. I was so glad for Steve to come on because it was such an easy conversation. And like what Gorman said, the fine fellows there from the Northeast. Fine fellows from the Northeast. And he put that on social media for all to see. Was that rubbing a car in my background or yours? <laughs> Did you hear that? Uh, I, I heard something. I wasn't sure what it was. I think that, I don't know if that's you or me. Yeah, I don't know if the listeners could hear that or, but. <laughs> no dogs bark it. this time. So, no, no. So she's, we, we got lucky. She's looking at me with sad eyes, waiting for me to sign off here, but. <laughs> no bark bark <laughs> so yes another great uh great 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 guest uh amazing wonderful anything else that's it man um thanks for coming on steve brian and i are going to have some show reports and some new formats coming out soon just from because live music is back look for live music is back keep engaging with us on, on social media telling us episodes you like or guests that you want us to have on we love the feedback and we appreciate all the fans out there always remember southern rock is reverent blues is blood we'll see you next time
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.